A shift is taking place in financial markets. A low interest rate, high growth environment has been the general experience for most investors over the past decade. Now the environment looks decidedly unsettled with the risks of higher inflation and interest rate pressure. Adding to the uncertainties are war in Ukraine and threats to oil and wheat supplies. With inflation surpassing all-time highs throughout the world, the main concern now is how market players will keep their portfolio balanced. Well, joining us to unpack this is Adrian Pask, Chief Investment Officer at PSG Wealth. Hi, Adrian. Good to have you back on again. Having noted some of the major shifts that investors should be wary of, what risks do you see in the offshore space in the coming months? Hi, Kieran, and and hello to the listeners as well. I think in the offshore space, things are certainly reaching some type of the inflection point. So if you look at the offshore bond space, for example, which has historically been the area that's done quite well in, in times of equity market turbulence, correlations have sort of moved uh, to one in sync. So as equity markets sold off, offshore bonds provided little protection. In fact, they down not do to similar levels as, as the S&P 500. So it's a marginally less, but still significant losses in that space. So the conventional diversification properties have at least for the time being um, disappeared. But I think it has something to do with the fact that we've been in a very good space in offshore bond markets in, in the US for quite some time. So it's really been a, a 40 year bull market and we've, and we've spoken about this before. And where we are now is they were essentially at a point where they can't go any lower. And interest rates are set to move higher. And that's really prompted some turnaround in that space. On the equity side of things, I think valuations have started to become a little bit more noticed than previously. So in a low interest rate environment, I think investors are quite comfortable for multiples to expand. So PE ratios to move higher just on the basis that volumes are continuing to grow, profit margins are continuing to grow. Um, but what we are seeing now is the reversal of that trend. So interest rates are going to move up and we'll see input costs go up and we'll see volume growth decelerate. And that's going to have a knock on effect on sentiment towards glamour stocks as well, but the broader market in general. But I think more worrying is that if you look at what consensus analyst forecasts are expecting is they still remain extremely optimistic to our view. So if that's going to unwind at some point, which we think is going to happen, then uh, we can expect some more market turbulence for sure. Okay, so you mentioned uh, the sentiment towards glamour stocks is turning. Maybe just explain what do you mean by glamour stocks and are they turning for the better or for the worse? Yeah, so, I mean, these glamour stocks are stocks that typically enjoy plenty of limelight and are usually quite popular. And that popularity is propelled by a narrative of sorts that generally excites people. Um, you know, things like Bitcoin could be example, but I think there's a bigger narrative out there that's been, been in the limelight under technology and technology shares have benefited from that as well. And it's actually not been the first time that that tech stocks have fallen into this trap where there's this continuous narrative around profit margin expansion, volume growth, taking over the world kind of thing. But in previous cycles, we've seen we've seen other areas. So you would remember the commodity super cycle narrative where um, the narrative at the time was that Chinese growth is going to accelerate into perpetuity and the commodity supplies is is way too short for the demand that's in the pipeline. Um, right now, I think, though, we in that tech narrative unwinding a little bit. So so as rates increase, reality is sinking in, recession fears are starting to, to come into play. 
and investors are starting to question the sustainability of those volume growth and in particular margin growth. I mean, one of the things that you've observed yourself in the past is that this environment of rising interest rates is likely to impact negatively most offshore asset classes. Would you say that domestic assets have a better chance of outperforming the offshore equivalents over the coming months or year? Yeah, I think, I mean, we've already seen domestic assets starting to outperform offshore counterparts now for a short while. Looking back longer term, you know, South Africa has been through a very tough period. But for where I think we are right now, I think local assets are likely to offer better prospects than global ones amid the rising inflation and interest rate cycle that's taking place globally. So our data shows that real yields on on SA bonds remain attractive. Um, and that's in spite of significant improvements on the fiscal side. So it wasn't too long ago that, you know, we saw some forecasts indicating debt to GDP ratios exploding over 100. They've actually moved lower, largely on the back of support from higher commodity prices, but they're now under 70%, which is actually even under the OECD country average. So we're actually in decent shape, and yet our bond yields seem to indicate that there's significant default risk there. So I think there's opportunity there. The risk-adjusted yields are quite attractive, and and the real yields, even if you compare to other emerging markets, look quite attractive. And we should also remember, I mean, the key fear at this point in time is really about inflation and which companies are able to protect their margins, pass on input costs, inflationary pressures onto consumers. But South Africa has a very commodity-centric market, and there's an inherent hedge against that from higher commodity prices that, that are driven um, into the inflation numbers. So I think we're well poised there. The other area that tends to benefit is typically banks. So as, as rates tend to move higher, banks typically become more profitable because they can actually afford to borrow on the short end and then earn better income on, on the long end of the curve. So that could be beneficial. I think the one thing just to keep in mind is, you know, what's going to happen to volumes um, for the banks in terms of credit. But I think the biggest driver across sectors is probably probably keeping in mind volumes and profit margins. So, I mean, I've mentioned it quite a few times now already, but I really do think it's it's something that's critical in the assessment of where things are going and the prospects for various asset classes globally. In the South African case, volumes and margins are quite weak by historical standards, and you see that in the valuations. In the US, rating seems to suggest, um, when I say ratings, I specifically mean PE multiples, so valuation ratings. They, they seem to suggest robust growth of a very high base already with volumes that will remain unchallenged and margins that will remain at record levels. And we just don't think that's realistic. So from a valuation perspective, the South African valuations have a lot of margin of safety already built in and reflects reality, really. We, in the U.S. case, we don't see that at the moment, and, and that's where the risk starts to come into play. I mean, it's quite interesting that South African inflation rates have been surpassed by global inflation rates, Europe and United States, which is almost history in the making there. But given this environment that you've, you've laid out there where South Africa looks quite attractive from a domestic point of view, are there certain pitfalls that people should be aware of? Yeah, I think some of the biggest mistakes that, that we currently see out there, as you can expect, when things are quite volatile, there's a, a level of over-optimism, and, and that comes to my earlier point around the volumes and margins in, in U.S. markets in particular. So it just seems that things are being assessed very generously in terms of what the volume growth and sustainable margins would be over the long term. 
But then I think there's also a mistake of over-pessimism on the other end. And that comes to my point around the SA bond market. I think our bonds are not accurately reflecting the fundamentals. Um, fundamentals, yes, we acknowledge that we are under pressure. I mean, we're seeing the pressure of, of ESCOM and load shedding again. Um, but these aren't unfamiliar things to South Africans. And yet our bond yields are accelerating, but our debt is actually retreating. Um, and we're actually doing a lot of improvement. And at the same time, the ratings agencies have been coming out with better outlooks for the country. And yet, I mean, the bond market is just ignoring that flat. Um, some of the other things that come to mind in terms of what investors could watch out for is ignoring known risks. So the US bond market, the impact of inflation rates and debt. So we don't think the US bond market is accurately reflecting the risks in that environment. So US debt to GDP is, uh, has only grown. It's I think it's grown probably by a multiple of four times since GFC. And yet we've only seen yields go lower and lower. So that would suggest that the debt situation is actually improving, but it hasn't. It has deteriorated quite significantly. Um, and then something that we use to our advantage, but we think many investors get wrong, is ignoring the lessons from history and in particular, the cyclicality of things. So, you know, and nothing moves in a straight line in our environment with investments, especially long-term ones. And it just seems like people continue to ignore the things that have um, underperformed and continue to invest things that are quite popular. So something that comes to mind is, for example, the, the growth versus value debate, which I, I think has been well, well publicized, but that's largely to be expected to revert again. That's just normal market behavior. And, and we don't think investors pay sufficient attention to those kind of things. And then maybe lastly, not taking valuations in account. And we've seen a lot of this over the last five years in particular. It's just investors buying into glamour stocks and continuing to prop valuations up. And I think what we see now is is some unwinding of that. So so those would be the, the more common pitfalls um, at this point in time. You've mentioned some of the sort of market mismatches or pricing mismatches in the both overseas and local bond markets. But what are realistic ex- expectations for offshore assets in your opinion? Yeah, I think it's a really good question because I think investors need to prepare themselves for returns that are far, far more muted than what we've experienced over. So, for example, you know, since the GFC and the recovery out of that space, I mean, if, if we think of the S&P 500, for example, in 2009, it's almost unbelievable to think that the PE multiple for the S&P 500 was in the single digits. So obviously return prospects from that environment look a whole lot better than when you are at a PE multiple of 25 times. So if we work off a PE multiple of 25 times, that really means that there's a, a earnings cash flow coming through of 4%, so the, the inverse of the PE. And at the same time, there's a dividend yield of maybe 1.5%. So that's sort of the US long term. So you're looking at mid-single digits probably for the US from these levels, um, which is significantly lower than, than, than what investors would have experienced out of that 2009 period. But there was a very good reason why those returns were so high is because the valuations were incredibly low, as I mentioned, single-digit PE. And at the same time, profit margins were zero. So they were completely flat. And then they expanded now from zero to the levels where we saw them at the beginning of the year, closer to 14 at record levels. And that has significant implications for equities, significant tailwinds. But if you go from 25 lower and from 14% profit margins to something that's more sustainable on the lower end, we think 7 or 8%, the impact of that on equity valuations is quite material. So, so I, I guess the prospects aren't 
um, as great as what they they were um, going back to to that period of time. But I, I don't want to come across as you know bashing offshore investments in general. I think they still have an important role to play in a diversified portfolio. But the important thing is, you know, where investors have over allocated to offshore assets, thinking that South Africa is going to go to the dogs and you know the US is a, a one way bet. I think you know those those type of scenarios need to be reevaluated and just make sure that you've looked at all the facts and valuations and make sure the portfolio is positioned properly. And then lastly, maybe just on the bond side of things and, and why we don't like that space from a valuation perspective is, you know, since the early 1980s, the, the US bond market has, has been in that bull phase and yields have moved lower and lower and lower to a point where they, they couldn't really turn around or continue to, to go lower. And we've seen that reversal now just from one and a half to, to three percent and how painful that has been for bond markets. You know, I mean, through our engagements with some of the, some of our offshore investment partners, the sense is that maybe it's a little bit overdone over the short term, but the long term thinking is yields are still relatively low in historical context. So probably more pressure on that environment. And if you sit on a 3% or 4% uh, potentially um, bond yield, um, and inflation rates are continuously, you know, stubborn, then that doesn't really make for attractive yields where in the South African case, we are back at 10% bond yields. So it looks attractive. So long story short, we have more muted expectations going, going forward on, on offshore assets. Given some of these tailwinds that you've been talking about here, then there are some very serious risks out there. What's your general advice to investors? How do they position themselves and their portfolios going forward? Yeah, I think uh, things have been very volatile, obviously, and that would suggest levels of uncertainty is quite high. And in a time of uncertainty, we always go back to first principles. So, so doing the things that we know that will be beneficial as to, as opposed to doing the things that we might feel is the best, but we're not 100% certain. So, so those first principles become really important. So if we think at it, of it from a retail investor's perspective, what do we know for sure? So we know saving, uh, saving more is better than saving less. Um, so, I mean, continue with your contributions. Don't deviate from your plan. What we do often see is that investors climb into their shells. They don't want to make investments. They really need to, to get to their, um, retirement goals, but, but they climb into their shells and then that lasts for two or three years. And that pause in savings can be far more detrimental than a temporary setback in markets. So that's one thing. Um, and I think thinking long term has, has much better success rate um, than thinking shorter term. So don't shorten your investment horizon on the back of this volatility, which also um, often happens. Um, and investors should acknowledge that, you know, typically when you do that, mistakes become more probable. So if you start to think too short term, anything can happen over the short term. And if you start to run your portfolio thinking too short term and Positioning it in line of sentiment, you can very easily find yourself in a, in, in a, in a tough spot. But if you think long term around the prospects for asset classes and you look at valuations, that's far more sound way of trying to approach, you know, the, the complexity of, of markets. And I think, you know, remind yourself that, that the retirement plan was designed and underpinned by factual data. I mean, most financial planners out there obviously design these plans, taking into account multiple recessions over your 40, 50, even 60 year investment horizon. So, you know, if that was done properly, don't make sweeping changes to, to your portfolio. I think you've got to acknowledge that once you start doing that, you start to challenge the factual data that underpin that plan. So now you're starting to actually position the odds against yourself, which um, is obviously not what you would want to do. But I think those are the things that are often overlooked. 
investors do these things, not understanding what the long-term consequences are. So just reminder out there to investors that those things remain critically important. All right, Adrian Pask, Chief Investment Officer at PSG Wealth. We're going to leave it there. Thank you very much, Adrian. Thank you very much, and thank you for the listeners.